Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The one thing about the enemy and the, and the powers of darkness is, and his M.O., if I can say it that way, is he's very patient. He's very patient. He's not in a hurry. He'll just kind of step back and wait. He'll just kind of watch. And he will watch for those opportunities when we just kind of let our guard down and praise the Lord and the walls built. And sometimes that's when the battle is just beginning. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. When things are going well or we've just experienced a victory for God's kingdom, we may get distracted and forget to stay alert to Satan's attacks. However, Pastor J.D. reminds us that the enemy patiently waits for us to let our guards down. He wants us to get comfortable. Therefore, we must keep our minds focused on God and our defenses up. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Nehemiah chapter 7 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 7. Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, Hananiah, the leader of the citadel. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many, which is kind of interesting. In other words, not just God-fearing, but there was uh, a significant uh, difference in how he feared God as compared to others. And verse 3, I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. The idea here being that a man's going to guard his own house, his own family with his life. And rightfully so, considering that they're still vulnerable. And this really speaks to Nehemiah's leadership. This is a great leader. This is a, a strong leader. This is a wise leader in a Nehemiah. And we see his leadership gifting being demonstrated in how diligent and even vigilant he is still concerning the attack of the enemy. And he's as diligent after the victory as he was prior to the victory. And this is an important point here. And this is what I really want to talk about for just a moment, if you'll indulge me. It's really important to understand that the enemy is relentless. The enemy will never give up. Never imagine for a moment that when we do have those victories, we do resist the devil and he does flee, he's coming back. When he tempted Jesus, we're told that after Jesus had quoted scripture, actually out of Deuteronomy 
had resisted the devil. And by the way, he did it in his humanity, not in his divinity. As a model for us, as if to say to us, so too can you resist the devil when he attacks, when he tempts, when you're tested as Jesus was. It would have been just effortless for Jesus to defeat Satan and resist the temptation of the devil, even in his weak state, in his humanness. It would have been effortless. He could have, in his divinity, just squelched it and squashed it, and the enemy would have been rendered powerless in the face of that, but he didn't. There's other accounts in the Gospels, and it's very important to recognize this, where Jesus does something not as God incarnate, but he does it in his humanity. And the reason for that is because it gives us hope that we too, like Christ, can also have that victory. I think of the account when, I want to say it's in Luke's gospel, my memory fails me, you'll forgive me, when the disciples were unable to cast this demon out of this uh, boy. And the father comes to Jesus and he basically pleads with Jesus and says to him, take pity on us. And he describes this unthinkable and horrific situation with his son who is demon possessed. And these demons were throwing his son into a fire to try to burn him to death and kill him. And so he brings this, his son, to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, basically, your disciples could not cast the demons out of my son. Can you take pity on us? And it's so interesting to see what Jesus does in response and what Jesus says in response. It's almost, some commentators believe that it's almost when when he says, when Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. In other words, Jesus, yes, I do believe, but I have doubts. Please help me because doubt sets in and then unbelief sets in. So I do believe, but help my unbelief. And then it's almost like Jesus says, he says, if you can, and Jesus repeats, if you can, he puts it back on him. If you can. And so it's almost to imply that, yes, I can, but so can you. Because what I'm about to do, oh, I'm going to cast the demons out of your son. But you can do it too, if you'll just believe. If you'll just believe. And so he does it in his humanity as if to say to us now, as he did then, you can do this too in your humanity. Because I'm doing this in my humanity, fully human, fully God, and he did it in his humanity. Now, the reason I mention that is because we're to never let our guard down. Now, you have to understand that they have just accomplished this miraculous victory. They've now hung the doors, the city is secure, and one would think that maybe, hey, we can take a sigh of relief, we can kind of Ah, it's good now. Ooh, that's almost like the worst time. It's almost worse than before. 
when Jesus was tempted, we're told, I think it's in Luke's gospel, it might be recorded in Matthew's as well, where it says that Satan left him waiting for another optimum time to attack, a more opportune time to attack. So he'll, we resist him, he flees, but then he waits. The one thing about the enemy and the, and the powers of darkness is, and his M.O., if I can say it that way, is he's very patient. He's very patient. He's not in a hurry. He'll just kind of step back and wait. He'll just kind of watch. And he will watch for those opportunities when we just kind of let our guard down and praise the Lord and the wall's built. And sometimes that's when the battle is just beginning. And this is what Nehemiah wisely discerns. I think it's really important, whether we're in leadership or not, is to recognize how prone we all are to this dynamic of kind of letting our guard down, not being as diligent when it comes to shoring up and having those checks and balances in place, putting on our armor, knowing that the enemy is still going to attack, in fact, sometimes more so. I know I've shared this. I might as well share it again just real quickly. But many years ago when I uh, took it, this when I was pastoring on the mainland, I took a team to Russia, We a short-term mission trip. And I was uh, doing this, uh, basically that we did this outreach, and the college students there at the Bible College were playing music, and it was really good, actually. And so we would have these outreach concerts. We'd fill the venue that we had rented. And this one particular night, it was standing room only. The fire guys were saying, hey, you can't have any more people. There are people outside listening and, and waiting. And so we would just pack the place out. And so many of these young Russians came forward and accepted Christ after the invitation. And so the next morning, uh, when I was doing the devotions, I made this comment, kind of jammed their gears. I said, you know, that was really uh, quite a great night, wasn't it? What a, what a victory, right? And all of these people got saved, and God just blessed, and God just moved. And you know what? Satan couldn't be happier. And they kind of looked at me like, oh, you mean God couldn't be happier? And I said, no, no. Uh, Satan couldn't be happier. Because, see, we can come off of a victory like that and just kind of step back and say, you know, praise the Lord. And then it can kind of, you know, get to our heads a little bit. Like, wow, man, that was really good. Hey, we were pretty good. And that's when the enemy's right there. That's when, In fact, the enemy is waiting and watching for that exact moment when we kind of let our guard down on the heels of a good victory and a great and grand and glorious thing that God does. And this is what Nehemiah again discerns. And he's saying, guys, basically, don't let your guard down. In fact, if anything, your guard needs to be up more so because this is when we become even in some ways more vulnerable. Verse 4, now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy 
And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return, speaking of it with Ezra, and found written in it, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his city. So here again, we have a great example of what a great leader looks like in Nehemiah. And we see this leadership gifting, and leadership is a gift, and we see it in how he prudently assesses the numbers and the families of the Israelites that are there within the city, as few as they are. And again, he knows that they're still vulnerable to attack by virtue of their few numbers. This, again, makes them more vulnerable, even with the wall in place. Even though the wall and the gates are now completed, he, again, wisely discerns that under his leadership, he needs to bring the people together. They need to be united, and we're going to see this uh, here in a moment. But this is what's interesting. Only about... 2% of all of the Jews that were carried away into Babylonian exile returned to Jerusalem. And we know that because beginning in verse 7 on through the rest of the chapter to verse 73, kind of a long chapter, we have this detailed list of all of their names and how many were in their families. So you have the total number, and that's how we know that it's basically about 2%, which might explain in part why this is now the second time we have this list recorded in Scripture. The first time was in Ezra chapter 2. Now you have to ask yourself, why, why does God deem it necessary to include in the pages of Scripture the lists of the names of all of these Jews who returned to Jerusalem from the captivity. It's not to have pastors and teachers torture their people by trying to pronounce all of those names, which we're not going to do, by the way, so take heart. (laughs) We're not going to take the time to read through all of them, but I do want to point out something that's very important, and we talked about it in the beginning already. But this is not about building the wall physically. This is more about building God's people spiritually. And for those of you who were a part of this whole building project, this is what God did in this, His church. I watched, I know what God did in my own life. I I hope you've seen the work that God's done in me through this whole process, but I've also seen what God's done in the life of this church. And I've also seen how God has brought people together through this process of building this church. I've watched it, in fact, even recently. Whenever we have a need, I think about when we got these chairs, all 300 of them, and we were going to have the container. and we, I just kind of put it out there and said, hey, we just need people to unload them off of the container, take them out of the you know, packaging and bring them into the building and set them up. 
And I don't know how many people showed up, quite a few people. And it was really amazing. And we're thinking, it's going to take the better part of the day. So we did it on a Saturday. I think we got it done in like 28 minutes. I mean, that's just, I, I, I love you guys. <laughs> this is, I mean, that is so amazing. So then we have this dirt, this fill that's donated to us. And so last Saturday, we just put it out there again. Said, hey, we just need some help. We need to level this thing so we can start using that, you know, grassy area out front. And oh my goodness, how many people showed up and it was done. Uh, we ran out of dirt before we ran out of time. And I just watched how, through this whole process, how God has just brought people together. And uh, it's about people. It's not about buildings. So chapter 8, verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man. There's the unity. In the open square that was in front of the water gate. This is the area where former President Richard Nixon had to resign. And they uh, told that's where the water, that's the gate where the water was. Just want to make sure you're still with me. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So the chapter begins with Nehemiah. And this is interesting. I don't know if you noticed it, but he's responding to the people. The people are saying, hey, bring the book of the law. In other words, bring God's word. Now, to their credit, it would seem that they're very aware that a physical wall means nothing, that they need God's protection. They need God's word, and they need that spiritual wall of protection because any physical wall is rendered absolutely useless in protecting God's people. We're going to see in this chapter, uh, and this is what I've been really looking forward to, we're going to see the power of God's Word and the importance of God's Word in the life of God's people, specifically as it brings about revival. We're about to see what I like to call a good old-time revival. There's going to be a revival here amongst God's people, and it's going to come by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. I know I've quoted J. Edwin Orr. He's known for his uh, study of revivals in history, and he defined revival in this way. He said, it's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. And such is the case here tonight in Nehemiah chapter 8. So, verse 2, the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read, speaking of Ezra, by the way, Ezra was a contemporary of Nehemiah. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Okay, stop right there. From morning until midday. Can we do the math? Can you just indulge me here? Because that's a really long service. Just saying. So in morning, I'm, let's, can we call it 9 a.m.? The, the, the first service started at 9. Okay, you know when first service ended? Midday. Can we say 3? That's six hours. 
Are we okay? Six hours. Did you hear me? Six hours. Six hours. Isn't that about like two or three football games? Just saying. College, not not NFL. <laughs> Why did I go there? Doesn't matter. Let's move on. From morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears, listen to this, of all the people were attentive for six hours. <laughs> they, they didn't doze off. They didn't doze off. They were attentive to the book of the law. So, verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood. This is kind of the setting we're in right now, kind of a stage where he could be seen by the people, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Maaseiah, and at his left hand, Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. By the way, that's the why behind what we do on Sunday mornings. That's where it comes from. So you understand, it's not something arbitrary that we do because that's just what we do and that's the way we've always done it. No, it's a standing up in reverence for the reading of the Word of God. And they stand up as he reads and We're told, verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. So be it, so be it. While lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sharabaya, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, this is why I didn't read all those names in chapter 7. Hadijah, Maaseiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. In other words, they really comprehended it. Thanks for being a part of our time here today on In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please visit our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. You'll find a link to our Twitter feed where you can join the conversation and fill your feed with encouragement. We'd also love to see you here at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe, if you're in the area. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. Or come by on Thursday at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website in spiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, you can still benefit from Pastor J.D.'s teachings through our online resources at inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
Simply click listen on the top of the page to find a number of previous messages by Pastor J.D. from various books of the Bible. Along with that, we invite you to check out the Mideast Prophecy Update, where Pastor J.D. shares current events and their prophetic importance. Here's Pastor J.D. to tell you more. Yes, Josh, that's right. In doing the prophecy updates, we do focus our attention on current events through the lens of Bible prophecy. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus said that he has told us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, we will believe. This is why we have a very simple gospel presentation at the end of each prophecy update. It's our hope and prayer that many would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Sure hope you'll join us each and every Friday and Saturday for our Bible prophecy update. You can also find the updates at inspiritandtruthradio.com. There you'll find a link to our YouTube channel for the latest update. Thanks, Pastor J.D. We're so glad you tuned in today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has much more to share from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah when you join us again. May your day and week be blessed as you continue to grow in spirit and truth.